Uh, grab your Bibles, turn to John chapter 3. John 3. We're going to do a, a, quite a bit of reading and flipping. We'll, we'll stay in the Gospel of John. You all know my affection for this Gospel. Um, and so hopefully uh, n- you won't see, you won't hear anything new, but hopefully you'll see it anew. I don't know if that makes any sense. Not sure it makes sense to me. Um, but, but nevertheless, so we're going to look at uh, most of John 3, a passage you'll be familiar with. But for the sake of time and focus, I want you to read one verse. So you stand with me. Uh, we're going to read um, a verse I think that we should make more popular, and that, of course, is verse 16. Um, don't know if you've heard of it. You could probably cite it from memory. John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only Son. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have ever, eternal, or a better term would be everlasting life. Let's go, Lord, in prayer. Our Father, thank you for your love and your mercy. Thank you for this opportunity we have. Uh, even I, I, know, I know America has stopped, but while America stopped, it is still important for us to gather to worship. Um, Lord, and, and as we, we mentioned earlier, let it be that we, we, we are joining worship with our brothers and sisters who just a few miles away uh, have been worshiping night and day for days. For most Baptists, the idea of engaging in a worship service uh, more than an hour is, is, is overwhelming. How grateful we are that for hours, your spirit is being poured out. And Lord, we trust this is an authentic revival that the spirit moves beyond a small community and into our cities, into our states, but ultimately into our hearts. Lord, as we'll see here this evening, let your light shine and let it change our lives. Name your glory, son, we pray. Amen. Proceed. Well, um, many of you all know that arguably the best preacher ever to live, arguably, was a Baptist, naturally. I'm not talking about John the Baptist, but uh, was Charles Haddon Spurgeon, 19th century uh, pastor, preacher in London, England. Uh, to this day, he has incredible influence, particularly with, with uh, young ministers um, I myself have read a few biographies and books on him. There was one point in my life I was trying to read a sermon of Spurgeon a day. It's actually a really, if you're looking for a, a, a unique devotional, um, just grab his, his, his uh, sermons uh, and just read them. I don't care which one, just read them. Um, and I, th- I think you will be blessed by it. Well, in addition to his pastoral duties, he, he was a very, very busy man. I mean, he had about 40 jobs. And uh, one of those things he did was, was he was like a professor, what we might call a professor today. And on one occasion, he was trying to explain to his students, uh, uh, these, these ministry students, preaching to students, future preachers, that, that, that illustrations in a sermon are really important. And he noticed right away that they, they were having some, some issues with it. He tried to explain that, that, you know, Jesus used illustrations, metaphors, and similes. And as he described it, he, he said, you know, you can't read the Gospels without hearing Jesus say, the kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of heaven is like. And that he never spoke to them without a parable. Jesus used illustrations, metaphors, similes, uh, all that sort of stuff, even comedy, in order to to illustrate the broader point in which he he is making. Spurgeon described illustrations, and he said, A sermon without illustrations is like a room without windows. What a good illustration that is, right? Really, really helpful to, to go about it. Well, he noticed that one student in particular, but representative of the whole body, was still... Not so sure. And one of their complaints, and I've heard this from young ministers, and every young minister struggles with this, is figuring out or finding an illustration is hard work. 
Trying to think how to illustrate a point can be quite difficult. It's easy with your Bible open to say, thus says the Lord. It's right there in the text. But to illustrate it so as to uh, make it clear for the reader can be quite difficult, particularly for young ministers. Spurgeon wrote, uh, yes, um, if you do not wake up but go through the world asleep, you cannot see illustrations. But if your minds were thoroughly aroused, and yet you could see nothing else in the world but a single tallow candle, you might find enough illustrations in that luminary to last you for six months. Now, they still didn't believe him. So Spurgeon, stubborn as could be, decided to publish a book taking from a single illustration a candle, a lit candle, He provided six months' worth of illustrations for any preaching student. A single image, a lit candle, was sufficient to illustrate many truths of Scripture. I think he's on to something. Of course, that isn't just true with Spurgeon. This is true of any good storyteller. I was trying to think of some of my favorite stories and how often they use uh, the image of light and darkness to illustrate the point. Can I just give you one? And that, of course, it comes from J.R.R. Tolkien himself. And the book is The Hobbit. Uh, you may know when Bilbo Baggins you know, gets lost in the goblins, uh, 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 the mountain with all the goblins and stuff. He stumbles down, he finds himself, and the first time he meets Gollum, who originally was named Smeagol. And you remember that he is in a dark cave. And, and they have the greatest scene in The Hobbit is the riddles in the dark. I won't rehearse all of that. Uh, you need to watch the first movie. is the best scene of the book, best scene of, of the movie. But what's interesting, if you study those riddles, is you get a real contrast in personality. Gollum talks about uh, uh, dark things. After all, he is living basically inside a cave in a mountain because he lives in darkness. Bilbo, on the other hand, a uh, happy-go-lucky hobbit, he speaks of lighter things. In fact, one of his riddles, the answer to it is light. I'll read it to you for your own enjoyment. Here is the riddle. It cannot be seen, cannot be felt, cannot be heard, cannot be smelt. It lies behind stars and under hills and empty holes it feels. It comes first and follows after, ends life kills laughter. The answer is light. It's interesting, isn't it, that, that, that what you had a contrast here was, was two characters in darkness, but even in that darkness, one of them embodied it in his personality, the other embodied light. This is common in, in narrative, and so we shouldn't be surprised to find it common in the Bible. I mentioned this morning that you can go to the first page, the third verse of the Bible. Light is first introduced to us, and that creation of light from the God of light carries on throughout it. Well, I understand if you want to get the work tomorrow, so we won't do a full survey of this theme of light in the Bible. But I would like to spend a little bit of time in the Gospel of John looking at this theme. You've got your your hand there in chapter 3, but if you will turn with me to chapter 1 where this is first introduced. I hope this will be helpful to you. If not, I certainly enjoy it. Chapter 1, verse 9. John uh, writing, uh, Jesus speaking, but John writing says, uh, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Notice what we have already. Light has come, and it is the creator of light who is light himself. But what happened? The light was rejected. But what does that tell you? The world is in darkness. That the true light, here we know it is Christ, 
has entered into a dark world. In darkness, it fought overcame it. We won't, you don't have to turn there. Actually, turn to chapter 6 to give you a little bit of time. But if, but if we were to turn to chapter 4, one of the things that you, you'll find in chapter 3, we'll see this emphasis on light we'll get to in a minute. Chapter 4, this, this theme of light continues. Here's your Sunday school lesson. When did Jesus encounter the woman at the well? Noon o'clock. And I'm, 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 I'm no biologist, so I don't know much about gender, but I'm pretty sure that that means the sun is directly above. It is, it is the brightest part of the day. Again, I'm, I'm no scientist, but, but I'm pretty sure that is a, a significant detail. Often what we do with that passage, we make an emphasis that, that the woman is apart from her social uh, connection, right? All the women will go in the morning whenever it's cooler. She goes in the harder part of the day. I think there's some truth to that. But what John wants you to see in addition to that is she goes at the brightest. But what do we find out about the woman at the whale? She lives in darkness. Go and call your husband. He says, oh, oh I, I, I have been married several times, but I'm not married to this guy. Here's a woman in darkness standing in the light, standing before the light. It's just an interesting little detail there, isn't it? Or turn to chapter 6, we see the same thing. By the way, I'm only giving you just, just a little bit to see here. Go through the Gospel of John, or I can send you my Bible study I did last year at the Capitol where we went through this Logos, Life, Light, Lamb through John's Gospel and emphasized as much as, as we could. Chapter 6 is when Jesus feeds the 5,000, and he walks on the water, Pastor will read, and he ends with him talking about feeding the 5,000. But the narrative is interrupted with this, this story of Jesus walking on water. Just a few verses. It interrupts the flow of the story. Jesus feeds the 5,000. Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. And right in the middle is the story of Jesus walking on the water. Notice the details, chapter 6, verse 16. When evening came, you see where this is going? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not very good with, with, uh, with my calendar and my day and nighttime, but I'm pretty sure evening is when it gets dark. It is evening right now, isn't it? Because it's getting dark. Evening came. His disciples went down to, to the sea, got into the boat and started across the sea to Capernaum. Now, there are no headlights on that boat. I don't know if you knew that or not. They are going out into the sea at nighttime. They cannot see on the sea. This is an important detail. Now, we gloss over that because we couldn't care less. Show me Jesus walking on water. That's cool, man. But that detail is important. It is dark. They go into treacherous water in the darkness. And they don't know if, where they are. That's one of the things you'll find at the end is immediately they're at shore. They had no idea they were that close to shore. They got into the boat, started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark. In case you didn't know, that evening was dark. You see why this detail is important? Right? He, he's, he's, he's jumping off the page, isn't it? You'll never unsee it now. Jesus had not yet come to them. Oh, now the spoiler alert. <laughs> Thanks, John. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. Now, pause there. You missed it, didn't you? How do you see in the dark? How do they see Jesus coming up on them? If it is dark and Jesus is walking on the water, he should be able to step in the boat and really frighten them. Don't you think? But think about it. If, if you were to go to my house right now, which is dark, my family's over at the Super Bowl part of the youth, all of them are. And so if I were to walk into my house right now, go into my kitchen and someone jump out and say, monkey wrench, I'm going to be frightened because I didn't see them standing there. It's dark. How then do you see Jesus walking out on the water to them? Well, you know the answer by now, don't you? What's John telling him? He's not just the bread of life. You need to first see him as the light of the world. And that is why the response is, it's a ghost. 
He said to them, it is I, that is I am, right? That's, that's the, the, the it, Jesus is claiming to be the guy who spoke to Moses in the burning bush. It is I, do not be afraid. And they were glad to take him into the boat. <laughs> you think? Well, turn to chapter 8 with me. Chapter 8, verse 12. We'll just look at one verse. The whole passage, the context will be worth exploring. Chapter 8, verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, here it is, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You see, John has been setting us up for this moment. It's a real turning point in John's gospel. Is, is we've seen with Nicodemus coming at night. We'll see the woman at the well coming in the daytime, Jesus walking on water. What is it that we see? Jesus is the light. If you follow him, you'll never be in darkness. Whenever I was uh, in RAs a long time ago, um, we were in the dungeon, what we call the church basement, and, and we were in a room that had no windows. And every once in a while, someone, uh, if, we, if we went long, people would forget that we were down there. And so they would go to the top of the steps, which is at the back of the sanctuary, and they would turn the lights out on us. This happened maybe monthly, every other month, something like that. And my buddy of mine, uh, my best friend growing up, still love him dearly. He, uh, the lights went out, and, and it's pitch dark, like Mammoth Cave almost. And usually our leader would fumble around, find a light, whatnot. But my buddy this time, he, he was wearing those shoes. Remember the shoes that would light up when those first came out, how cool they were? He said, don't panic, don't panic. Follow me. Now, they didn't give out enough light for you to follow. And the problem is, the light didn't illuminate going forward. <laughs> he didn't know where he was going. But it's the same thing, isn't it? If you're in darkness, what you need is light. And you follow the light. Quickly, turn to chapter 11. Here is the, the raising of, of Lazarus. Chapter 11, verse 9. Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. So you see, you can go down to verse 10, but if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Notice now the light is now an internal issue. So you have the light, I am the light of the world, he who follows me will never be in darkness. And now I am the light of the world, but anyone who walks in darkness, it will stumble because the light isn't in him. So it's both the objective and the subjective here. Now, the context here has to do with life, not light. It's interesting, isn't it? One of the things that we'll see is that Jesus mixes these metaphors. When people need light, he'll give them life. When they need life, he'll give them light. Here is Lazarus needing life, and he first promises to give him light. But after all, where is Lazarus? He's in a dark tomb. And so when the stone is moved away, light enters, and he is told to come forth. There's 12 hours in the day. Walk as if you are in the light. Go down to verse 37 of of the Lazarus story here, chapter 11. Um, some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Now we'll come back to the blind man, chapter 9, here in a minute. But that story is all about light, which you see, those who are blind are in darkness. That makes sense. If you cannot see, what do you see? You see darkness. But if you can see, what you see is light. And so blindness is a picture of darkness. And, and, and so the, the, the narrator here is saying, look, Jesus could heal that man. Surely he could have kept Lazarus from dying. And what's Jesus' point? I'm going to show you what sort of man of light I am. I'm going to raise him from the dead. One last place, chapter 12. We'll look at just one verse. And we'll get back to Nick at night. Chapter 12, verse 46. Actually, go up to verse 44. Forgive me. 
Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. Whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. See the language of seeing? This will be worth your time to go through John's gospel, highlight words, blind, light, darkness, see, all of that. You'll be amazed at what you find. Verse 46, I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. And then he talks about hearing. Isn't that interesting? So now he's going to equate hearing anyone who hears my words. It's like a man who can see because he's no longer deaf, but he can hear. Clearly, this theme is significant in in John's gospel, this light darkness uh, uh, metaphor, illustration, whatever it is that you want to call it. So what I want to do in the time that remains, and we must do this quicker than than, uh, uh, perhaps you may think possible. I want to give you three purposes of light. We've done this before, but hopefully now when you see in the broad context of John, uh, it'll it'll make make more sense. First purpose of light we see in the Bible and life in general, first of all, light blinds. Light blinds. Chances are you've had this moment when someone wakes you up and they wake you up with light. Isn't that just the worst? My dad believed that if we were still asleep when he told us not to be asleep, he would bring water. And if he didn't bring water to pour on our face, he would shine every light he could find on us. Isn't that the absolute worst? That's torture right there. I should, I should call somebody. But, but here, here we, we understand that, that the problem with it is your, your eyes adjust to darkness. Your pupils will grow larger so you get more of what little light there is and it allows you to see better. But when you turn the light on, your eyes haven't adjusted to that much of light and it has a blinding effect. Why is it we get frustrated when we drive down a dark road and someone leaves their brights on? It temporarily blinds you. And then, or has you ever, you remember the old uh, uh, cameras that had the flash on them? You know, the habit I always had is, and I'm, for the next 20 minutes, I'm sitting here doing this, trying to catch that thing, right? That thing has just blinded me. I'm sorry, I can't see anything right now. When I get my migraines, I get the flashing lights, what I call them, they're called auras. And basically, it's, it's like having a cop car on and an ambulance and a fire truck all at once, right there in front of my eyes. And it's the only thing I see, it's just lights. And I, just, I try to catch them as well as I can to get rid of them. We understand that light has a blinding effect. And that's true not just in real life, it's true in our spiritual life. Go to chapter 3, verse 1. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. He is a ruler of the Jews. That's everything we need to know about this guy. He is a man of influence. He's a, man, uh, he's a legal scholar in the Mosaic Law. And uh, he is a teacher. This man came to Jesus, there's the detail, by night. Do you think it's important now? Now that we've done a brief survey of John's gospel, we can certainly look at more examples. But he comes to him by night. And what we find is that Nick is in darkness. And he is in darkness coming to Jesus who is light. Now John's already told us about that. Remember chapter 1, right? And, and here we see it going to be illustrated for us that this man in darkness travels in darkness because he doesn't want to be seen. He doesn't want anyone in the know he's talking to Jesus. But he comes to Jesus at night, but without knowing it, or maybe he, he has an idea of it, he comes to Jesus, who is lights. And then you'll see there in verse 3, Jesus answered him, Truly, I say to you, unless, helps if I, if I turn one page, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Well, that's odd language, isn't it? Because usually Jesus is drawing us into the kingdom of God. But here, Jesus is going to emphasize seeing the kingdom of God. There is the same thing, but it's picking up on that illustration. Nicodemus cannot see the kingdom of God because he cannot see. 
And so here he is in darkness seeing the light and he's blinded by it. In fact, I think that is what explains much of what we see in the rest of the narrative. Again, we're just surveying here, so we won't look at the whole thing. I trust you're familiar with it. So, for example, in verse 4, Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time to his mother's womb and be born? Now, now, no, <laughs> right? Look, many times you'll hear a preacher say, Look, here I am, I'm 38 years old. I can't go back in my mother's womb. Let me tell you something else. When you are five minutes old, you cannot go back in your mother's womb. You can't do it. There's a second birth that goes on there. And once that happens, you cannot go back into your mother's womb. Because the body isn't designed for that. Right? right? So, so, so no, Nicodemus, that's not what Jesus means. You'll find throughout uh, uh, John's gospel, what happens is that people confuse the spiritual for the physical. Let me give you a few examples. Uh, in John chapter 2, tear down this building and in three days I'll, I'll rebuild it. Are you threatening the temple? That's an act of terrorism. I tell you what, go in front of uh, the White House and say something like that. See how that, that, that is responded. Go in front of the state capitol and say something like that. And see how people respond. I'm going to tear this place down, and in three days I'm going to build it up again. And John has to say, look, he's not talking about the actual temple building. He's talking about his body. Chapter 4, he who thirsts will never thirst again. All right, give me that water, right? It's Gatorade, of course. Um, chapter 4, verse 23, I have food to eat that you do not know about. <laughs> well, give us that food, right? We don't have to... Raise these crops and grow a garden. John chapter 6, eat my flesh, drink my blood. And like, ugh, cannibalism. Didn't know that was going to happen, right? Loved everything that God said about the Pharisees, you know, how awful they are. Not a fan of cannibalism. Confusing the spiritual with the physical. John chapter 11, Jesus is the resurrection and the life. You remember what, what, what Mary and Martha say? Like, well, yeah, we know that one day we'll see him. They confuse the, the spiritual, actually, in that case, with, with the physical. Or the physical, rather, with, with the spiritual. So you see the, the blindness of, of Nicodemus. Go down to verse 7. This, this only continues. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. You're just not getting it, are you, Nick? You are blind here in darkness. Go down to verse 13. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent of the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So you see this merging of light and law and life. He comes to Jesus looking for light because he's in darkness, but what Jesus offers him is not just light, but life. But he's so blinded by the light, he can't see any of this. One more, go down to verse 35. The Father loves the Son, and has given all things into his hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Nicodemus is blind. Here it is, he is standing in front of the light of the world, and he can't see. He's been blinded. Blinded by sin, blinded by, by everything. He's a man of blindness. In fact, go back to verse 12. If I have told you earthly things, Jesus said, and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? See how blind he is? He's blind. And for many people, when they see the lights, they'll be blinded by it. I don't know if you've noticed this in our culture, but common sense isn't as common as it used to be. 
Recently, there was a video going out. They, they deal with political things. I'm interested in that. But the young man made the argument. He, he said, let me tell you why some people groups have advantages, privileges over others. And it really comes down, what is the key to success in this country? Are you raised in a, two fam, in a two-parent household? Are you, are, you, are you raised to make education a priority? And do you have children after marriage? You do those three things, children will thrive. Chances are many of you, your testimony to that, I am. And when he said that not divorcing, making education a priority, and not sleeping outside of marriage is not a racial or socioeconomic issue, everyone looked at him aghast. Aghast, which I find the bigotry of, of low expectations. But they were just confused. How can you say that everyone should be married before they have children? How can you expect people to do that? They don't know how to do that. You hear the bigotry? It's common sense, isn't it? It's common sense. How about don't go into debt? Isn't that common sense? Federal government should learn that lesson. Common sense isn't common. Why? Light will blind us into madness. Secondly, light exposes. We've got to move really, really quick. Light exposes. Uh, notice in verse 17. God did not send his son to the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. The world as corrupt as it is stands condemned, Jesus states, states here, from the gracious work of Christ. However, while seeking to save the world, what Jesus ends up doing is exposing the world for, for evil. Go down to verse 19. This is the judgment. Notice the language of judgment. Light has come into the world. People love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into light, lest his work should be exposed. If you're sitting at your house, it is three o'clock in the morning, and you hear a noise, it's one of two things. It's your cat who doesn't sleep at night. I've learned that. I'm an insomniac. That cat is awful. And we could change it for another cat, and I'll think someone's breaking. I mean, it took me months to, to think our house wasn't haunted. Because I get up and look, no one's breaking in. Either it's haunted or it's the cat. And I've learned they're the same thing. That's the Egyptians. So it's either the cat is roaming the earth or you're being broken into. Why? Because most robberies happen at night. Your car's going to be broken into likely at night. Drug deals are likely to be done at night. In the darkest places imaginable, most, most faraway places you can get to. When they happen in the daytime, we'll say things like, they did it in the daytime. How, how, how incredible is that? Why? Because light exposes us in darkness. We, we, we think we could be hidden in darkness. Jesus comes, he says, I am the light. And for many, that means exposure. Just contrast two groups here. The woman at the well, chapter four, these two stories are put together on purpose. One comes at, dark, at night, one comes during the day. They're both in darkness. The woman at the well, she, she comes in darkness at light time and Jesus exposes her. What does she do? She responds with faith and repentance, and then she tells everyone, this man, I found light. Later on in the narrative, actually starting in chapter 5, you get one story of rejection after another. That's on purpose. You get those who accept Jesus and those who reject Jesus because he exposes them. And by the end of the story, the religious elites, what do they do? When Jesus continues to expose them for the frauds and evil men they are, they'll crucify him. 
light exposes, and it will expose us to change or expose us to, 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 to respond negatively. Our society uses words like bigoted, closed-minded, intolerant, judgmental, hate speech, hate thoughts, hate crimes, hate in general. What they mean is light exposes. One last thing, light illuminates. It blinds, it exposes, it illuminates. While light blinds some and exposes others, for people of faith who come in repentance, it will illuminate the way. When we think of light, we often think of this illustration, don't we? That is why all of us own flashlights, and you probably keep a flashlight near you at nighttime. If the power goes out, you got flashlights. In fact, you got one on your telly right now. You use it all the time. You get in the middle of the night, you, you got to find out where, where the kitchen is because you, you got a craving or something. You're going to turn that light on, right? And of course, what's going to happen, you're going to open up that refrigerator and you've been blinded by the light, isn't it? You're going to remember this sermon. Nevertheless, we, we, we all know that if you want to find your way out of a dark place, you, you need light. I told you about Mammoth Cave this morning. The, the lady that led the, the tour, uh, she turned off the lights and she, and, and she said in the darkness don't worry we came prepared for this now she turned them off on purpose she said if the lights don't come back on don't worry i've got lights right we we understand this this is really just common sense so too coming to jesus is an act of illumination repentance and faith is like stepping on the lit path we know which way to go, and we see things with, with new eyes. Again, this morning, my dad, when he told me about the reflectors down the middle, it isn't just that, that I'm told what side of the road to be on, but those reflectors tell me to stay on the right side of the road. So too it is with Christ. What is it that C.S. Lewis, my favorite quotes, I believe in Christianity not because I, I see it, but because by it I see everything else. That is what it is that we get with Jesus Jesus lights our way. To put it another way, illumination is like being born again. You can see that context, that story in, in, in the story, isn't it? He's been talking about light, yes, but he's been talking about life. You must be born again. And that leads to the, the climactic part of the story that we all know well. God so loved the world. There's another L word, love. God so loved the world, he gave his only son in his own death. Like Moses who lifted the serpent, you can see earlier in chapter 3. That whoever believes in him will not perish into darkness, but have eternal life into lights. It illuminates. And that life isn't when we get there. That life is now here. We go from the dark path to the lit path. And we see with renewed eyes. We see things we otherwise could not have seen. One of the interesting things about this encounter with Nicodemus is that he comes back. Not all the characters of, of the Gospels re return. Sometimes we have details about them. We don't know what really happens to them. What happens to the woman of the whale? No idea. What happens to most of the disciples? I have no idea. But Nicodemus, we meet him again. What's interesting is that John reminds us constantly he is a man who used to be in darkness. The next time he's mentioned, John chapter 7, verse 50, Nicodemus, who had gone to him before. When? When did, when did he go to Jesus before? At night. Finally, John chapter 19, Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, in case you forgot. He came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weights. He had come from darkness into lights. Well, the man blinded and exposed was ultimately illuminated by the lights. 
He no longer walked in darkness, but he followed the light of the world. Will you turn to chapter 20 for me and then we're done? Since we're running out of time, I skipped chapter 9, which I really regret. That's my favorite story. We've looked at it before. Chapter 20. You're going to notice something about John chapter 20. This is the resurrection of Jesus. I trust you're familiar with it. John reminds us on two occasions in this, in two different contexts, the date in which Jesus was raised. There it is in verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and found it empty. Go down to verse 19. You'll see this again. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week. So notice that you have morning and evening. Now, you're Bible scholars. Can you tell me a story in the Bible that tells us the first day of the week, it was evening, it was morning, day and night. It's the third verse of the Bible. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. Behold, it was good. It was evening, it was morning, the first day. What day of the week was Jesus raised? The first day of the week, Sunday. It is why we gather right now here on a Sunday evening, because Christ was risen from the dead. The first Christians were Jews, and they were struggling with, with what day should they worship. They grew up worshiping on the Sabbath, Saturday, the day of man. And they would continue that tradition, but they said, that's fine. We had better get up early before work on Sunday morning so we can celebrate Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. What is it that Christians were expressing to the world? Light has come. And that light might blind some of you. It will expose many of you. But for people of faith, it will illuminate the way. And you'll notice, it isn't in the evening it was dark, in the morning it was bright. But both in the morning and in the evening, there was the light of the world. Does that prepare you for revelation? That in the new heavens and the new earth, Christ comes. There is no sun in the new heavens and the new earth. For Christ gives its lights. It's right here in the gospel. It's right here. And later what you'll find is Thomas gets his nickname, Doubting Thomas. But when he sees Christ with new eyes, what does he say? My Lord my God. Let's pray. Our Father, I ask that you would encourage us here this evening. Here it is. It is darkness in our city. And it is 